Um, so we're going we're gonna to be in John 15, uh, verses 9 through 17. And uh, as you're turning there, I think it's session three in the journals. If you're looking for where do I take notes, you know, we had to move things around. It's okay. Um, but one thing about this passage is that John 15, 9 through 17, it's an explanation. And it's an explanation of what came right before it, which is an illustration of the vine and the branches. And in that, in this section, what has happened is that John, or uh, not John, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is with his disciples. It's the Last Supper. And he knows that his hour is coming. It is upon him. And he has resolved to love his own until the end. To love his own to the end. And in John 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. You are the branches. Every branch of me that doesn't produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so it will produce more fruit. And he talks about remaining in him. He talks about if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. And he says that his father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So knowing that, let's uh, get into verses 9 through 17. And kind of like, you know, I acknowledge it's kind of late in the conference. Maybe you're already woken up from the wave we just did. But uh, let's stand as we read verses 9 through 17 together. Would you guys stand with me? Starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask in, my, in the name of my father, uh, in the, fa the father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, this conference, God. I thank you for what you're doing here in our midst, God. I thank you that you are living and you are active, God, that your word is powerful, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, I pray that your word this morning, uh, the things that we've heard this weekend, they would penetrate our soul, our spirit, that we would leave this conference changed. Give us grace, Lord, this morning to hear your word. <coughs> um, yeah, Lord, we ask you to, uh, to bless our time together. Name me pray, amen. Yeah, okay, you can have a seat. Um, okay, I have a question. Um, did anyone here bring a stick with them? Did, you brought a stick. Ben, can you come up here with, with that stick? Let's give Ben a round of applause. Ben, where did you find that stick? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a true thing. Um, did anyone else bring a stick? Mitch brought a stick. Mitch, give Mitch a round of applause. Come up here, Mitch. <laughs> um, 
So, Mitch, do you know what the difference is between your stick and Ben's stick? My stick looks alive. It looks alive. That is true. And so this is just to get a, a picture. I'm, I'm reviving the object lesson of old, you know, to bring props up on a stage. Um, and these obviously are not branches like what Jesus talked about. Those branches are vines, they're vineyards. These are from out here in, you know, Estes Park with the, the trees. Um, and please do not go outside and start breaking off branches. Um, uh, I actually just happened to find this one was already kind of broken off. This one was just already kind of dangling there. But this one is, it is dead, there's no life in it. And this one is alive. And Jesus says that you are branches, that you've been grafted in, that you are alive like this. That this is what you are. And that this is what you were. And in this passage, what is happening is Jesus is explaining what it means to remain connected to the vine. And my hope is that you would leave here this morning understanding how God, being God's friend empowers you to love like you never thought you could. Thank you guys. Why don't you guys just set them down right here and go and have a seat. Give, give them a round of applause. Okay. So that said, what I'm going to share with you this morning is really dovetailing off of a lot of things that John was sharing. It's going to connect so well because what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin with an obligation that we must do. And the thing in this passage that we must do is that we should love one another. It's reiterated several times in this passage to love one another. And the love and obedience between the Father and the Son, they are a model for our relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I've loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I keep my Father's commands and remain in his love. And so we need to notice, first and foremost, we are loved by Christ. He initiates all of this. And obedience is how we continue to experience intimate fellowship with Christ, how we continue to experientially feel and experience the love of God in our life. And we are commanded to remain in Christ's love. How? By obeying all of his commands. That's what it says. And Jesus goes on and he, he clarifies what that means. He, he tries to summarize it. Um, and he says in verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I've loved you. And this doesn't replace the commands of Christ. This does not replace any commands that the Bible imposes onto our life. But what it does is it summarizes them. It is the second commandment, you know, the, of the greatest commandment ever. To love your neighbor as yourself, this is like the first. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The two are, are intertwined in ways that you just cannot separate. And so we should love one another. There's an unbroken chain in this. In this passage, in any part, when we think about loving God and loving others, there's an unbroken chain between Love for God, how love for God produces love for his son. And that love for his son produces obedience to the son. And obedience to the son is especially tested by our love for one another. And so this morning, you know, you know what you should do, but I want to give you 
four reasons that we should love one another. And if you're taking notes, what you might want to do, you might want to put these four reasons on one half of your paper because we're going to have four other reasons, okay? Now, don't worry. We're going to go through them pretty quickly. So the first reason, though, the first reason, a godly reason that we should love one another is that it proves we are friends with God. And when I say proves that we're friends with God, what I don't mean is like, uh, it's not like we're trying to prove it. You know, we're not not like trying to prove we're we're friends with God. This is like a mathematical proof. In mathematics, if A equals B and B equals C, what does A equal? C. C. That's a mathematical proof. It's just a logical conclusion. And what Jesus says, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus isn't saying you got to do a lot of stuff to be you know, my friend, he says, well, the way you know that you're my friend is, well, do you do what I command you? And in verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And in God's love, he's declared us to be his friends. Jesus has initiated this relationship. He chose us, and we did not make Jesus our friend. (laughs) He befriended us through the gospel, that we were all like once This dead branch, without life, as as Caleb was talking about at the beginning of this conference, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. But he has made us alive with Christ. And that on the cross, he has forgiven our sin, and he has given us the gift of his righteousness. And why did he do this? Why did he do all this? John answered last night, because God himself is love. He is love love. And everything that God does is a product. It comes from his being. God's doing comes from his being. That everything that God does is an expression of his character and his attributes. And so God is love. And in love, he has befriended us in Christ. And so not only does God's doing come from his being, but our doing comes from our being. And that's what John talked about last night. If there's anything, man, that truth that essence precedes existence is fundamental. It will radically change your life if you, if you operate in that mode. And John explained last night how, how, that, how you derive that from the scriptures. And we're not going to get into all that, but, but we see that who we are is fundamental to what we do. And as John said last night, your duties um, or obligations um, are those things that naturally flow from your identity. And he is just, he is so right. I could not emphasize that more. And so we should love one another because we are God's friends. And this is what he has commanded us to do. You know, there's a lot of relationships in the world that don't operate this way. Like, in work, you know, you, you don't do what your boss tells you to do because, oh, he loves you so much. No, like, there, if you don't do what he tells you to do, you're going to get fired. If you don't do the assignments in your class, you are going to get an F, probably. Um, and in, your, in the, the state, you know, if, if you go and you speed, you know, the officer is going to give you a ticket. They're enforcing the commands of the, of the land through force. And in parental relationships, parents and children, parents command children to do things all the time. 
and they don't have to always give the reason. And these relationships operate this way because God has designed it to work this way. You know, in, and it's good. It is good that they operate this way. It's good for people that, you know, every time they get pulled over, the cop doesn't have to explain, well, here's why you should really obey the laws. No, he just he says, okay, here's the fine, pay the fine. And that's how we stop bad things from happening in the world. But in the church, in the church, obedience is not forced by coercion. In the church, obedience is a product of love. And that is how the church is so different than the state. And in each of those relationships, though, in the state, in, uh, in work or in your you know, parent, in your teacher-student relationships, and in some degree in, in parents and their children, we follow those who lead us as strangers. Why is that? Because we don't need to be given the reason for the command. Like when the cop pulls you over, they don't have to be like, well, here's why it's 35 in this speed zone, um, so therefore you should pay the ticket. No, they say, well, here's the ticket. And you don't, he doesn't have to give you the reason. Your teachers, when they create assignments, they don't have to give you the reason for the assignment. They say, well, here's the assignment, do it, or I guess you maybe will not score any points on this assignment. And you say, okay, well, I guess I'll do it, you know. They're not forced to. And every time a parent tells a child, oh, okay, clean up your room, they are not obligated to give the reason. And so in those relationships, we follow as, to some degree, like strangers. We don't know the big picture sometimes, or we're not given it. But in this relationship with God, what makes friendship so sweet is that you share common aims and goals. And what Jesus has said is that I do not call you servants, a.k.a. slaves, anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I heard from my father. And so what makes friendship intimate and sweet is you have common aims and goals. And we follow Jesus as his friend, as he's revealed the big picture to us. He gives us the commands but he gives us the reasons why. If you read through the Bible, anytime you see a command, you will usually always see a reason for the command. And Jesus has not hesitated to share with his disciples anything the Father has told him to tell them. He's revealed it all. He hasn't held anything back. And there's more that he's going to teach them in, in the years to come through the Spirit, but he has not held back at all. And loving the church, more specifically loving Christians or the Christians in your campus group, it shows that you have embraced the core aim and mission of Jesus, to love the church. Strangers and slaves, they do not need to internalize the aims and goals of their master. They just need to know, okay, if I don't do this job, I'll get fired, okay. They don't need to internalize those goals, but as friends, you know, we, we are called to embrace those aims, those goals of Christ in our own lives. And we follow Jesus knowing the big picture. He's invited us in to see this eternal cosmic purpose of God. It is mind-blowing. Second reason that we should 
uh, love one another is because it produces fruit that remains. Loving one another, it produces fruit that remains. Verse 16 says, I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain. So that whatever you ask in the, fa- the Father in my name, he will give you. And what makes friendship so sweet is making things together, doing projects together. In Des Moines, we have this thing called Campus Fellowclips. And we make these horrible movies. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm insulting some people. I know that. Um, but there, there's these five-minute movies. You get one night to film it. And you're given a theme. You're given a prop. You're given a line. And you said, go. Um, and, you know, if you had your parents watch the movies, they'd probably be like, what did you, what, what is that? Um, but, but the amazing, the awesome thing about experience is that you're building something together. You're making something with these people, and you're building friendships together. And doing something together, it can bring together very polar opposite people. Like, like Thor and Quill. I'm borrowing Caleb's analogies here. Like, yeah, <laughs> he looks so much like Caleb um, with the beard. <laughs> He's insulted now. So, but Thor and Quill, Thor and Quill, they are polar opposites. They're always fighting with each other. Who's going to be in charge? Who's leading the ship? Who's leading the mission? All that kind of stuff. But then when push comes to shove, when they have a common mission, a common enemy, they come together. And they, and they resolve some of those conflicts and differences. In the running story of their, of their, their relationships, there's always kind of some, some like fighting going on. But the thing is, when you do a project together, you build relationships with one another. And with what's happening here is that the product of fruit shows how we labor with Christ. We labor with Christ. What does Jesus say about the fruit? It's your fruit that your fruit should remain. That's weird, isn't that? Like, we think God God is the one who changes hearts, yes, uh-huh. But Jesus here, he says, that your fruit should remain. And we know in, in the big picture, this is, we are a branch connected to the vine. You know, we would not produce fruit if we, we can't do it without Jesus. And even in this verse, he talks about prayer, you know, our dependence upon Christ. But in the producing of fruit, we are doing something together with Christ. And we are building friendship in that relationship. Strangers and slaves, they do the work alone. Or they do the work with other slaves and other servants. But friends do work together. And that is so instrumental. That that loving one another, it produces fruit that remains. Third reason, it promotes closeness with Jesus. Closeness, open intimacy, fellowship with Jesus. Verse 10 says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And another thing that makes friendship so sweet is the building of friendship, the building of close interpersonal relationships, knowing one another. And this is, you know, you see the, the counterexample to this in Jane Foster and Thor. <laughs> you know, w- what happens? They get married. And then the marriage just dissolves. They stop spending time together. They're doing all their work separately. They stop doing things together. They, they stop talking to one another. 
And it's a sad, sad story. You know, Love and Thunder, Thor, you should watch it. Um, it's a pretty good movie, I think. <laughs> but, but what makes friendship so sweet is that you get to know each other more and more and more intimately. And for some of us, we build those relationships as we do things together. You know, we go climb a mountain. You know, we go hike up this, you know, thousands and thousands of feet in the air together, and, and we get to talk along the way, you know. We, but when we do things together, we feel like, yeah, we're building a relationship. And others, it's sitting across the table face-to-face for hours on end talking about nothing and everything all at the same time. Or 10-hour car rides, you know, out to Estes Park, Colorado. <laughs> but for Jesus, it's as we love one another, as we do those things, for Jesus, we experience greater intimacy and fellowship with him. That as we love one another, the love of Christ is coming through our life and we are getting to know him more and more. And so we should love one another because it, it, it helps us to know Christ more. In, you know, in a really crazy way, as we try to love one another, we see our sin more and more. And the love and the mercy and the grace of God becomes more and more real to us along the way. Fourth reason. Fourth reason we should love one another is that it perfects. It perfects our joy. It brings it to completion. You know, we're not going to be all smiley happy all the time. Like, that's not what I mean by perfects. Is, you know, we're going to have sad days, all that kind of stuff. But, but it brings to completion our joy in Christ. What does he say? Verse 11, I've told these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be complete. And what makes friendship so sweet is the pleasure that you derive from the pleasure of the other. When you give a gift to your friend and you get more pumped about their expression then they're getting pumped about getting the gift. Does that make sense? You know? What makes friendship so sweet is, is that experience when it's like, I get a joy out of the fact that you are rejoicing in what is going on here. And the joy of Christ, what he says, that my joy may be in you, what he's talking about is he's talking about the finished work of Christ. That the joy of Christ was to purchase your salvation on the cross that it would be finished. And that that joy of, the, of Christ, like, like a master artisan with this completed work, would be in you. That you would rejoice and have joy in the, the fact that Christ has done it all for you. That he has paid a debt that you could never pay. But the second part says, and that your joy may be complete. And our joy, completed joy, it's the joy of experiencing Christ's continuing work in you. Christ's continuing work in you, making him more like you in the here and now. And so what makes friendship sweet is the pleasure that we can derive from knowing that Christ is working in us. From his pleasure. Strangers and slaves, they don't care if their master is happy. Unless if it's like for some ulterior motive to get a raise or something like that. They don't really care fundamentally if their master is happy. They just don't want him to be angry. 
But as friends, we get to enter into a fullness of joy, the joy of Christ. And through obedience to him, we get to experience pleasure knowing that Christ is working in us and through us. So those four reasons are that they, it proves we're friends with God, it produces fruit that remains, and it promotes closeness with Jesus. And fourthly, that it perfects joy in Christ. I know some of you guys are counting four. <laughs> but the thing about this is that we, though we may be, though we may be this branch connected to the vine, this is, you know, this is your identity, you are alive in Christ, oftentimes what happens is that we feel like this. We walk through life and we feel as though, you know what, I don't feel close to Christ. I, I feel kind of dry, like, like what's going on inside of me? I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to love one another, but it's just not joyful. And so what I want to give you are four reasons that our flesh wants to love one another. Four reasons that your flesh wants to love one another. Because you can do the same thing. You can do the right thing for all the wrong reasons. And your flesh, what it wants is it wants you to be and feel and experience like, like this dry branch. So one reason that your flesh wants to love one another, it wants to love one another to produce friendship with God. To produce friendship with God. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Verse 16. And the lies that, that, that our flesh wants to believe is that God, he saves me, or he loves me more because I obey him. That God's love for me, I can make it go up, and I can make it go down. And that is just not true. We want our flesh, in our flesh, we want obedience to be attached, to, to be how we get attached to this vine. But Jesus, no, 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 I attach you. Second reason that our flesh wants to love one another is to promote my self-esteem. That loving one another, it makes me feel really good about myself. And some of us think we're really good at loving others. And it helps us to think even more highly about ourselves. And the lie that we believe when we function this way is that loving others is about making me feel good about myself. I love others. I pay it forward because it just feels good. And I want to feel good. And we forget that we are slaves of Christ. That though we have been called friends, Paul would say in Romans 6 that we are slaves of, of Christ. That we are slaves who have been brought into friendship with God. And we forget that as a branch, as a branch, we serve the function of the vine and the glory of the vine. That we would produce fruit, that the Father would be glorified in that. The third reason our flesh wants to love one another is because we think it perfects closeness with myself. That, that we love one another because, you know what? I just can't live with myself. I have this guilty conscience and it weighs on my soul and I need to placate my guilty conscience. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to love someone else because I just, I maybe offended them, I wronged them, and I got to really, really, really make it up to them before I can feel like they've forgiven me. Okay? 
And this is just an utter lie in our flesh. And the lie is that loving others is about me making up for my wrongs. And it's not about that. Self-depreciation and being overly concerned with other, how others view about you, that it is motivated by the flesh. And we forget that the focal point, the focal point of how I'm doing spiritually, it rests on being connected to the vine being connected to Jesus, and not in being connected to fruit that's happening right here and now. Okay, now the fourth, fourth reason, fourth reason that our flesh wants to love one another is because we want to prove our own joy. We want to prove we're really happy Christians. <laughs> Some of us think we need to feel before we follow. That if we don't feel, if we don't feel like it, that maybe, okay, well, I'm maybe not going not gonna to obey it because I'm just not feeling like it right now. And what this does is this, this inhibits two things. This can function one of two ways. Either one, it inhibits the vine from producing fruit in the branches because we just don't obey. We don't love one another. We say, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to love them. You know, case closed. And we inhibit fruit from being produced through us by the vine. The second thing it can in- inhibit is that it, it can inhibit your joy. You, you could think, you know what, um, I need to prove my joy in Christ, and we forget, we disconnect, we cut ourselves off from experiencing the joy of obedience. We think of obedience as the end. Obedience is not the end. Obedience is the only pathway to complete joy in Christ. And if we think of obedience as the end, we will always be unsatisfied. And so we're not, we don't need to prove that we're really happy, joyful Christians. You know, that obedience is the pathway to joy. And so as we close... I just want you to, to think about a few things. There we go. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I think a page didn't print out. Um, so I'm just going to do this from memory. memory. Um, yeah. Okay. A few things to close. One, I would encourage you to spend five minutes consider, considering where you are at. When you spend time with the Lord today, when you break up and go to your wherever you're going to uh, spend time with the Lord, take five minutes and consider this past year. What have you been motivated by? Why have you loved the other Christians in your life? If you were to kind of put a check onto you know, one side or the other of the box in each of these areas, what, what side would it be in? And if you find that you've been loving others for fleshly reasons, Repent. Turn away from it. And rejoice in Christ's finished work for you, that his joy would be in you. And if you find godly reasons, praise God. Just take a moment and just rejoice. God, thank you. Thank you that you are working in and through me. Let the joy of Christ be complete in your life. So take just, just five minutes when you spend time with the Lord today and just consider, why have I been loving other people? Is it because of these reasons or is it because of these reasons? Second thing I'd encourage you to do is to obey Christ 
wholeheartedly. Leon Morris, I'm going to have to read this quote from the screen, but Leon Morris writes this. He says, It is no cheerless, barren existence that Jesus plans for his people, but the joy of which he speaks comes only as they are wholehearted in their obedience to his commands. To be half-hearted is to get the worst of both worlds. And friends, we need to resolve to obey Christ wholeheartedly, that if we are 50-50, if we are not wholehearted, if we're half-hearted, the world is going to look at you and they're going to say, that person's a Christian, and they're going to treat you like a Christian. You're going to get guff, you're going to get flack. You're going to get the worst of that world. And if you're half-hearted in your obedience, you'll experience internal guilt that is the worst of the Christian life as well. So friends, when Jesus says, this is my command, love one another, resolve, out of love for God, of love for Christ, love for his son, yeah, I want to love you, God. I want to obey you, Jesus. So thirdly, love one, love one another wholeheartedly. This is the command that he's given. Love one another wholeheartedly. And there's three things in this passage that would help you to understand, okay, how do I do that? How do I do that? One, choose your friends. Choose your friends. Jesus says, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. This is how he demonstrated friendship. And in life, either you will choose your friends or your friends will choose you. And if you allow your friends to choose you, you will have friends that surround you that just, just feed your flesh naturally. So resolve, choose who your friends will be. Secondly, Befriend other Christians. Befriend other Christians in your life. What is it that Jesus does with, with his disciples? He reveals all the Father has given to him. He brings them into his life. So with these people you've chosen, bring them into your life. Share with them what's going on in your life. Be, be vulnerable with them. Leaders, especially. This is how Jesus modeled leadership with his friends. Thirdly, put the third one up. <laughs> Give up your life. Give up your life. This is the love, you know, the, the greatest form of love amongst friends is to give up your life. And if Eric Semtenau, DMAC director, could be here with us, you know what he'd say? Some of you guys don't need to go and die for one another. You seem to go do the dishes. You know, serve one another. If you're going to love people by laying down your life for them, it's going to involve time, energy. You have to give up, like, preferences and decisions. And I would encourage you, do it wholeheartedly. Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.